Church, are you ready to dig into the Word of God this morning? Amen. Amen. Would you join me just in that simple chorus? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's just bow our heads for a short word of prayer. Oh God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather on your day in your house around your word. We long to hear from Jesus. We long to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so please, make our hearts soft to your Spirit. And may the things that we read, the things that we hear, the things that you steer our thoughts to dwell upon this morning, may those things not just be nice, warm fuzzies, but may they be life-changing words. Thank you, God, that you are able. Thank you that you are willing to do this, because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's good to be in the house of God this morning. And uh, I am thankful just for life and breath in our lungs. I'm thankful to see your faces, uh, faces I haven't seen in a while. I'm also thankful to see my parents and my, my sister and her kids. Uh, surprise visit. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Maybe post-30, I just get really emotional just at the simplest little things. But <laughs> anyways, thank you guys for being here. Happy Sabbath. But we are continuing our sermon series. We are continuing our sermon series, Let Him Hear, Part 3. Now, this is a sermon series we started two weeks ago. We started in Revelation chapter 1. We looked at that vision that John received of Jesus Christ, and the very first thing John sees of Jesus is that he is the high priest who is walking in the midst of the candlesticks. In other words, Jesus is making sure that his churches are not going to flicker out. Jesus, in in his high priestly role in heaven, This is not just something to know about theologically. The very fact that Jesus ministers for us in heaven is an assurance, and I would say a blessed assurance, that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. And that was part one. Let him hear part one, blessed assurance. Let him hear part two of love and labor. And we looked at the message to the church of Ephesus. And that church was working, they were laboring, but they had lost their first what? They had lost their first love. And friends, that was an appeal for all of us. If we can ever remember a time in which our love for God was stronger and our love for others was more ardent, then friends, we need to repent and go back to the first works and allow Him to do a retransforming work in our lives so that we would never labor without love but always labor out of love. Amen. Amen. And so today, message number two, or let him hear part three, pressed but not crushed. Go with me to Revelation chapter two. 
Revelation chapter 2, this is the second church in the circuit that Revelation was to be delivered. It started with that port city, Ephesus, and it, it goes to another city. That city is known as Smyrna. Today, modern day Izmir. It's on the coast of the Aegean Sea. And what was it like in Smyrna? What we're told from archaeology and other historical records, Smyrna was a nice place to be. <laughs> Smyrna was a harbor city. Smyrna was a cultural center, a political and religious center. It was known actually as the glory of Asia because it was so beautiful. It was a nice place to be, at least in the eyes of the world, because in the eyes of Christians or in the shoes of Christians, it wasn't such a nice place to be for two reasons. Two dynamics made life miserable for Christians in Smyrna. The first thing was this, that in Smyrna, because it was such a religious and political center, it was actually a center for emperor worship. It was a center for emperor worship. In other words, every year there was a requirement that every citizen in Smyrna had to go to an altar and burn incense to the godhead of Caesar. Every year. And refusal to do so was upon threat of death. You can imagine that Christians who believed in the one true God, thou shalt have no other gods before me, Christians faced some severe hostility because of that from the citizens of Smyrna. And so life became very miserable for that one reason, but there was a second dynamic. It wasn't just that there were citizens in Smyrna that didn't like Christians. There were Jewish congregations in Smyrna that really had a problem with Christians. In fact, they were so hostile, they were so antagonistic against believers that they threw out slanderous accusations. They, they threw out misrepresentations of who these Christians were, and they threw out these accusations to the pagan governments. These accusations were such like this. Uh, these Christians, they have their feasts, their agape feasts, and they must be cannibals. Uh, there were other accusations, such as they were atheists, they were disloyal to the government, and these Jews, who were supposedly the people of God, they were throwing these slanderous accusations out to pagan governments so that they would be hostile toward believers. And so though Smyrna was a beautiful place to be, it was not a nice place to be if you were a believer in Jesus. This was a persecuted church. This was a church that had it rough, a church, a church that had it hard, a church that in order for them to stand, it cost something. And so what would Jesus say to this kind of church in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8? We're going to start reading here in just a moment, but what I want us to notice is what Jesus does not say. <laughs> Jesus, to this crushed church, does not give criticism. In the other messages to the other churches, Jesus will say, I know this about you, but this I have against you. In other messages, Jesus will say, but wait a minute, there's something you need to correct. But in this message to this church that's being persecuted and pressed, he refrains from criticism. Why? Are they a perfect church? Probably not. But he knows that when you're down is not the best time to receive rebuke. <laughs> Do you understand that? Jesus is a gentle shepherd. Can you say amen? amen? And he knows when we will receive instruction in the right time and in the right way. But what does Jesus say to this church? First, he points them to himself. Let's read it. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. If you're there, say amen. amen. 
All right, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says who? The first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I want to tell you, we've heard these words before, huh? The first and the last. This was actually how Jesus introduced himself to John in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. And after he says, hey, I'm the first and the last in chapter 1, he says, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last and everything in between. If you're facing something fearful, I've faced it before and I've gotten through on the other side. I am the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Jesus is giving us an assurance. or He's, he's giving this persecuted church an assurance. Why? Because... This greatly impacts the way the church will receive this message. If you've ever gone through a hard time, how many of you appreciate it when a complete stranger tries to give you some sort of pat on the back? Hey, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Sometimes you do. Sometimes you need it. But there are times where, where we're facing some extreme difficulty and someone says, it's going to be all right. And that means nothing to you because they've never been in your shoes. They've never walked where you've walked. I remember the first time I went whitewater rafting. I know this isn't extreme persecution or anything. <laughs> but the first time I went whitewater rafting, I was trembling. I was uh, sixth grade, seventh grade. I was with my Pathfinder Club, actually. We went on the American River up, in, up near Sacramento. And uh, I remember... Uh, the groups were divided. We all got into our rafting groups, and I, I was surrounded by, yeah, they were friends of mine, but they were all girls. <laughs> and I thought to myself, how is this going to work? And they were all talking about, oh, how big are the rapids going to be? Fear was rising in everyone's heart, including mine. And then I realized who was assigned to our raft as the rafting guide, and it was the oldest, most seasoned rafting guide. I don't remember his name, but I do remember what he looked like. Huge gray beard, awesome, intimidating hat, okay? He just, he said, everything's going to be okay. And when someone who's been down the river before says that, it's going to be okay. The end of that story is our raft actually was the only one that, that capsized that day. <laughs> but I'm here today, amen. <laughs> when he says paddle, you probably should paddle. Anyways, but Jesus is saying, look, I've been there, and I've done that. So if I'm going to tell you a message when you need it, you can know that you can listen to this. He's the first, he's the last, and everything in between. And so what does Jesus say? In verse 9, he says this, I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty, but you are rich. These are some heavy words here. Jesus knows. He's been there. He's done that. He knows our works. He knows what we're going through. But notice where my Bible says tribulation, the Greek language there, it, it indicates being pressed and hemmed on every side as if there's no way of escape. Man, how many of us have ever been there before? We feel pressed, hard pressed, as though the life in our hearts and souls is just about to be crushed. And he says, look, I've been there. I've done that. And if you know, remember what the Smyrnian citizens were putting the Christians through. Yes, they were being pressed. They were being crushed on threat of death. And it says that Jesus knows their works, their tribulation, and their poverty. 
probably the result of their persecution, probably the result of the, the fact that they weren't going, uh, they weren't walking the line as the rest of the citizens, but they were rich, according to Jesus. You are rich. I want to tell you that sometimes standing for the truth does not always equate to worldly advantage. But when you have Jesus, you have everything you need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. We may not necessarily be rich, wallets full, but we've got great treasures in heaven when we stay faithful to Jesus. I know your works, your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. Here's that reference to the slander, the misrepresentations, the accusations that they were facing. Friends, Jesus really does know this road. He was pressed, right? He was impoverished. He had the, the glories of heaven, but, but he gave up the glories of heaven to become poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Write that down. That's a, a gospel in, in a nutshell right there. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. That we, through his poverty, might be made rich. Jesus knows tribulation. He knows poverty. And surely he knows blasphemy. He knows hanging on the cross when people said, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. Right? He, Jesus has walked this road before, and so he's able to give this message. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Well, we can claim to be of the people of God, but our actions show who we truly belong to. And in verse 10, actually before we get to verse 10, I want to ask you a question. We know that Jesus can resonate with this. We know that Jesus has been persecuted even to death, to the shedding of blood. We know that he's been impoverished. We know that he's been blasphemed. We know that he can identify. But I want to ask the question, can any of us identify? Can any of us resonate with this kind of pressure? Maybe some of us have not been threatened with death. Maybe some of us have. Maybe some of us are coming from countries in which standing for the truth really was a life and death matter. Friends, I don't know how well we can resonate this. Maybe you can, maybe you cannot. But what I do know is that according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, the apostle tells us that all who desire to live godly lives shall suffer persecution. That's kind of a sobering reality, <laughs> especially for someone like me, who loves easy-peasy, right? Who loves convenience, who loves things to be comfortable. But in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, if the Word of God says it, I must believe it to be true, that all who desire to live godly lives will suffer persecution. Why is that so? It's because when we desire to live according to Christ's way, at some point, the world's way is going to be hostile against that. Now, does that mean that we invite persecution? No. <laughs> but it does mean that we don't have to run from it. Uh, I, I hope we don't get this wrong. Let us not invite persecution. No, no, we don't say to the devil, bring it on. No, no, no. But when it happens, we don't have to run from it. How? How can we be so enduring? How can we do that? Well, Jesus gives us a twofold prescription in verse 10. There's two commands. 
There's two commands in verse 10. First one, do not fear. Do not fear. Or if the Greek were to be translated, the the verb form is actually stop fearing. In other words, they were already afraid. So Jesus is saying, stop being afraid. Stop fearing. And notice that it says, do not fear any of those things which are what? Which you are about to suffer. Have you ever had that kind of dread that kind of peaks at what's ahead? And you just rather like bury your head in the sand. <laughs> Don't be afraid of that. You see what's coming. You anticipate what's coming. And Jesus says, do not fear any of those things that are about to happen. How does Jesus tell us not to be afraid of that? Does he say, just stop looking at that? No. Actually, Jesus gives them an even clearer picture of what to anticipate. And you'd think that would strike even more fear in their hearts. But he actually wants us, he wants this church to know what's coming down the road. It says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, and here he gets even more specific. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation. There's that word again, that pressing effect hemmed in on every side. You will have tribulation. What are the next two words? Ten days. So when Jesus says, don't be afraid, He's not saying don't be afraid by being ignorant. What he is saying is don't be afraid because you know it's not going to last forever. He gives this 10 days thing. He, uh, and if we were to understand this prophetically, you know, we were talking about how these messages, these seven messages actually can be applied prophetically to seven periods of church history. And if we were to understand this prophetically, uh, the first Message to Ephesus, that was the the age of the church in the first centuries, the first few centuries A.D. Thereafter, Church of Smyrna actually represents the experience of of, uh, the Christian church uh, in the third and fourth centuries A.D. And actually, there was a ten-year period in which there was unmitigated persecution toward Christians from 303 to 313 A.D. Uh, Very interesting prophetic significance there. But if we're just looking at this as 10 days, what immediately jumps out to me is, when I think of 10 days, what story in the Bible do you think of? Daniel. Yes. In Daniel chapter 1, 10 days, that phrase is used three times over. In fact, I'm not sure if there's another story that includes that period of time. But in Daniel chapter 1, 10 days was a period of of testing, right? That, hey, let us just try vegetables and water while everybody does the king's delicacies, right? You remember this story, yes or no? Yeah? So in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel proposes to the chief of the eunuchs, hey, just test us. Ten days is a period of testing, but it was also a short period. It was also a short period. Hey, you know, if this doesn't work out after ten days, we'll we'll just kind of change it over. Chief of the eunuchs says, all right, that's not a bad idea. Why? Because ten days, oh, that's nothing. Right? And here, the church of Smyrna, what they need to hear is, Don't just be ignorant of what's ahead, but realize that what's ahead is not going to last forever. You may be pressed, but you're not going to be pressed forever. You may be persecuted, but you're not going to be persecuted forever. Uh, Debbie and I, we've been reading this uh, parenting book called The First Seven Years. And every now and then she'll give these practical tips and 
what to do, how to have awe on awful days, you know, those kinds of things. And there's this one acronym, TTWP, that she keeps throwing, the author keeps throwing out. TTWP, this too will pass. When you're feeling pressed and persecuted, Jesus is saying, don't just be ignorant of that. He's saying, realize that there's light at the end of the tunnel. That this too will pass. The persecution that we're facing, yes, it, it, may be, it may be clear and it may be definite, but what Jesus wants us to understand is that it's finite. <laughs> uh, write this one down, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Actually, let's go there very quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I was reading this in my morning devotions earlier this week, and 2 Corinthians chapter 4 actually includes that same word for, for tribulation. It includes it uses it. It's actually the driving theme of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians, it's a little bit earlier in the New Testament. If you've gone to 1 Corinthians, you've gone a little too far. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to take a look at verse 16. If you're there, say amen. amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our, what kind of affliction does he call it there? Light? Now maybe you should understand a little bit more of what Paul is talking about. What is he calling this affliction? Actually, if you look at verse 8 and 9, he gets a little bit more specific about the kind of affliction he has in mind. We are hard-pressed on every side. This is verse 8. Yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. In other words, everywhere he's going, he's feeling the threat of death. But he realizes that though he's pressed, he's not crushed. And then in verse 17, he says, For our light affliction." He calls that light affliction. Why would he call it light affliction? Because of the next phrase, which is but for a moment. Some versions say, for our light and momentary affliction is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Amen. Persecution may be real, but your eternal weight of glory is even more real. Persecution may be may be pressing you, but it's not going to be perpetual. It's not going to last forever. So I don't know what dark valley you're facing right now. I don't know what threat, what ridicule, what pressure you're facing right now. But this too will pass. And that's coming from the one who is the first and the last and everything in between. Go back to Revelation. Revelation Chapter 2, he's given us the first prescription. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. This is verse 10. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. The first imperative, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. And here is the second command. Be what? Be faithful until death. 
The command, the imperative is to stand true, to stand strong, to let your faith be full. In other words, if you put these two together, do not fear and be faithful, he's saying, stop fearing, keep faithing, (laughs) if I were to construct a word. Stop fearing, keep faithing, which tells you a little bit something about fear and faith. There's an in, there's a, what do you call that, a converse relationship there. The more fear, the less faith. The more faith, the less fear. Stop fearing, keep faithing. When tempted to be fearful, be full of faith. Really? I mean, come on. Jesus, do you know what I'm facing? Yes, he knows what you're facing. Be faithful. Some of us may think it's impossible. How can we keep enduring this? How can we keep going through this? How can we stand true when everybody else says, if you stand true, then this, then this, then this will happen? It may seem impossible, but if he really is the first and the last, then he knows what he's talking about. We may be pressed, but not crushed. We may be persecuted, but not forsaken. Actually, in, the, in our Sabbath school class in Bellman Hall, we've been studying the story of Daniel. And last week, we studied Daniel chapter 3. And it just stood out to me that, you know what, these three Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, They stood true. They were faithful. They stayed true as the needle to the pole. And when they were thrown into the fire, how many were walking in the fire? There were four. Friends, they were persecuted, but definitely not forsaken. In fact, it was through their sufferings that they experienced closer fellowship with the Son of God. Could it be, that's why the apostles, every time they faced persecution in the book of Acts, that they left rejoicing? Because when they were suffering, they were actually identifying more closely with the Son of God himself. Friends, you may be persecuted, but you are the opposite of forsaken. Mm. Jesus is faithful even when these things indeed appear to be worse. Even when these things even when we feel like we are at our end. Jesus sees more in the tank. (laughs) Jesus says, you can press on. Jesus says, you've got more, not because of the human spirit, but because of the spirit of God. You know what? There are times where I feel like I'm at the end of my rope, and I just am not sure if I can even take another step. But Jesus, because he is the first and the last, he promises that you can be faithful. Faithful is he who calls us, who also will do it. Actually, I I just want to demonstrate this to you because sometimes we, we think this is so impossible. I feel like I've stretched it all out. I think I've given everything. But Jesus is calling me to still be faithful, to keep being faithful, because there's more in the tank and you may not even know it. <laughs> there, actually, try this experiment with me. Would you just indulge me? Uh, just lay your Bible in your lap for a second and just reach up to this guy. Reach up to the sky, two hands, two hands. Now, try this. Reach as high as you can with your two hands, okay? Do you have it? You have it as high as you can? Oh, some of you are real. Keep reaching as high. Okay, now give me one more inch. I saw it. (laughs) Did you see it? (laughs) You may think that you're stretching as high as you can, but you've got more. And that's not a testament to the human spirit. That's a testament to the spirit of God. 
Why? Because when we're oppressed, we are not crushed. Jesus is the first and the last. And so he'll call us to be faithful, to be even more faithful. And he says in verse 10, be faithful until death. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> Did he just say be faithful until death? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the loser's game, right? Doesn't that mean game over? You know, death, X over the eyes, done. No, 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 no. Remember, this is the first and the last, the one who was dead and is alive. That does not mean game over to him. He's stronger than any struggle, more powerful than any persecution. He's greater than the grave itself. This is Jesus, the first and the last. And friends, he's calling us to not fear, but to be faithful. How? Death may be the consequence, but it's not the conclusion. <laughs> and he gives us two promises to back it up. He says, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. I love that. The crown of life. Now this isn't to appeal to our materialism, because in Greek, there's two crowns. There's the royal crown, the diadem, but there's also the victor's crown, which is the stephanos. And that's what this is right here. The crown of life is the victor's crown. At the end of the games, you know, the Olympic games, uh, instead of medals around their necks, they were given a, a crown of victory. It was kind of like a, a wreath of sorts that laid on their head. It was a crown of victory that they had overcome. And Jesus is saying, look, be faithful unto death because I will give you the victor's crown that gives life. Mm. Be faithful unto death. That's promise number one. Promise number two is in verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes, that is, who is victorious, shall not be hurt by the witch death. Friends, do you know what the second death is? That's eternal death. Eternal separation from God. That phrase, second death, is used in Revelation chapter 20, which is a reference to the lake of fire. Friends, we don't have to fear those who can kill the body, but him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. We may be touched by the first death, but when we're faithful to Jesus, the second death can't lay a finger on us. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus went through that and came out on the other side. Jesus himself, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the second death on the cross, bearing the weight not just of one individual sin, but the sin of the entire universe of all history. In that moment, separation between God the Father and God the Son seemed like an eternal chasm that could not be crossed. And on the cross, he breathed his last, but before he did, he said, it is finished. <laughs> the first and the last and everything in between. The one who was dead and is alive again. Friends, we may be touched by the first death, but the finger of the second death cannot touch us at all. Because of Jesus. And so, friends, what are you being impressed by today? What is it that you are being persecuted by today? 
What threatens to crush you? Some of you may be facing some very real, seemingly unbearable darkness, hemmed in on every side, whether physically, literally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. But there is one who is dead and is alive. But there is one who is the first and is the last. There is one who can promise that you and I will not be hurt by the second death. He's bigger than your burden and more potent than your persecution. This is Jesus. Friends, I don't know what you're facing today, but this too will pass. <laughs> what, is the ty- what, what is the big idea here? When we're tempted to fear, be full of faith. When you and I are tempted to fear under the weight of persecution, under the weight of being crushed, whether that's now or sometime down the road. Friends, when you and I are tempted to fear, be full of faith. And so what's the practical takeaway? My suggestion would be this. If this week you are tempted to fear the darkness that surrounds you, if you are tempted to fear that this will never uh, grow old, this will never be overcome, this will never end, when you are tempted to think that way, I would suggest that you think 10 days. (laughs) Just let that phrase pop into your head. Ask Jesus, please show me the light at the end of the tunnel. Please show me that this too will pass. When we are tempted to fear, think 10 days. Realize that this isn't going to last forever. Remember that in the scope of eternity, this is but light affliction, which is but for a moment. Do you believe that this morning? That there actually is an eternity that we can spend with the king of the universe. And if that is true, then this blip in our experience where we are feeling debilitated, destroyed, discouraged, friends, that is nothing in comparison. Nothing in comparison. No wonder Paul could say, our light affliction is but for a moment and it's working for us an eternal weight of glory. No wonder. It's not going to last forever. We may be pressed, but we will never be crushed. I recently read about birds that are taught to sing. Birds that are taught to sing. In a cage where it's full light of day, there's lots of traffic going around, The master cannot teach that bird a sweet melody because it's distracted by this noise and it's distracted by that stimulation over there. That bird will catch snatches of this and, and, and catches of that, but the full melody will not be caught until the master cloaks it in darkness. And in that darkness, the master has full attention of the bird. And over and over, soon enough, that bird will break forth in sweet song and can ever after sing that song in the full light of day. It's a beautiful object lesson, friends, because in Revelation chapter 7, in Revelation chapter 7, it may not be a ringtone, (laughs) but it'll be a song that is sung, standing before, in Revelation chapter 7, actually, can we turn there very quickly? Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. You need to see this. 
Because there is a glimpse of heaven of people who have come out on the other side of tribulation. In Revelation chapter 7, this is beautiful. Verse 9, if you're there, say amen. And we'll wrap this up here in just a moment. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. In other words, John is having a glimpse of eternity. He's having a glimpse of heaven. And it's a numberless multitude. And it says in verse 10, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God. I imagine this to be a song, friends. They're able to sing it. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And later on, if you skip down to verse 14, John is asked the question, Do you know who these are and where they came from? And in verse 14, John says, I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Friends, these are, these are individuals who have been under the cloak of darkness, but they've learned a new song. That salvation belongs to our God. Be glory and honor, power and majesty forever and ever. And when that cloak of darkness is lifted, when that tribulation, when those ten days have passed, we will be able to sing a sweet song of melody of King Jesus, who is first and last, because we've been pressed, but not crushed, persecuted, and not abandoned. Friends, if it's your desire to stop fearing and to keep faithing, if it's your desire to, to instead of when we're tempted to be fearful, to choose to be full of faith, if it's your desire, would you just raise your hand to heaven and say, please, Jesus, amen, amen. Let's bow our heads together. Father, you know the darkness that seems to hem us in this direction and that direction. And Lord, maybe some of us are, are really in that position where, where life and death is at stake. And Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters who are facing that right now whether they are here in this congregation or in congregations around the world. Father, I know that there are congregations probably right now who are meeting in underground homes, who are afraid to light a candle because they're fearful of being seen. Father, I pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who are experiencing persecution to that extent today, and I ask that you would be the first and the last and everything in between for them. And Father, if there are some of us who are experiencing uh, pressure and persecution on other fronts, Father, I pray that you would give us the light of day, that you would cause us to see that light at the end of the tunnel, that we would be full of faith. Father, whatever these challenges, we praise you, that you are greater, that our God is stronger, our God is is bigger than any other. So Lord, we're, we've raised our hands. We're, we're reaching out to you, God. We ask that when we are pressed, we would not be crushed. We ask that when we fear, we would instead be full of faith. And may we as brothers and sisters who are walking this road together, may we be able to saddle up next to each other and encourage one another with these words as well. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking directly to our crushing circumstances. You are the conqueror, God. 
We trust you today. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. Amen. Amen.